Hi, I'm Neil Moody, editor, hairstylist, YouTuber, Instagrammer, interviewer, etc, etc. And throughout my 25-year career in the fashion and beauty industry so far, I've been lucky enough to have met and worked with some amazing and talented people. Thank you for tuning in to this special episode of In Bed With Neil Moody podcast. August 28th is a date that always stays in my mind as it's the anniversary of the passing of my dear friend, iconic photographer Corinne Day. For those that don't know, Corinne died of complications from a brain tumour on August the 28th, 2010, following a 14-year battle with her tumour. This episode was recorded on the evening of August the 28th, 2019, exactly nine years to the day from Corinne's sad passing. I was sat in my flat with my dear friend and colleague, Carl Pluka, where we were having a conversation and reminiscing about Corinne and raising a little toast to her when we decided that our conversation would actually make for a good podcast episode. Carl is a legendary fashion stylist, consultant and the editor of Beauty Papers magazine in the UK. He regularly collaborated with Corinne on numerous shoots from Vogue magazine through to ID and here we talk about what it was like to work with her, be friends with her and just generally talk about her legacy that will continue forever. Corinne has a website where you can view her work, www.corinday.co.uk and Corinne is spelled C-O-R-I-N-N-E. Plus, you can see her images and regular new posts on the Corinne Day Instagram account, at Corinne Day Official. Hi, Carl. Hi. <laughs> it's nice sat here talking about Corinne, isn't it? Yeah. But, um, so Carl, I've... Obviously, what we started talking about earlier was, um, before we started recording, was how we both met Corinne. Mm. Why don't you tell the listeners how you met her? Oh, well, okay. So, I'm quite old now, and I think (laughs) (laughs) we have to go back to the early 90s. I was working at Vivian Westwood as her personal assistant. Um, It was my, kind of, my second job, and I was quite young. I was about 19, 20, I think at the time. So if we're talking about when I first met Corinne, it was probably, I would think, 91. The Summer of Love, the face story had already come out because I remember I'd seen that and I was really kind of, it kind of changed everything. That was 91, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah. I think it was 90. Well, it might be 90. Yeah, I think it was 90. Working at Vivian Westwood was like, was like, um, in a good way, was like being part of a cult. So when you work with Vivian and you, you, you became very entrenched in that world and so you started to, your opinions and your, the way you looked and the way you dressed and the way you did your hair and I used to wear makeup and everything in those days. And uh, it all became whether or not Vivian would like it in mm. a way. It was almost like a religion. And everyone who worked there, you know, was part of the church of Vivian Westwood, myself included. And so this whole new movement that had started as a reaction to the kind of post-Reagan years of kind of vulgar consumerism, Mm. um, which was, you know, called, it was called the new movement. And then eventually everyone started calling it grunge. You know, it was going on in Mark Jacobs' Perry Ellis collection. It was going on in the music coming out of Seattle with bands like um, Nirvana. Mm. It was going Smashing Pumpkins and people like that. And then it was obviously the style magazines in London. So obviously I was obsessed with fashion and I used to read, voraciously read ID, Blitz, 
and the face and there was only really three style magazines then that we that we that you mm. read because mm. there wasn't funnily enough the irony is in in the digital era that we live in now there's actually more print star magazines than there were in those days when there was no internet yeah so um so basically i'm i'm at vivian westwood i'm her assistant i'm very young i'm going out a lot to nightclubs and i met a mutual friend of ours at the time james brown the hairdresser who you worked with at brinks and huck in covent garden yeah uh, where you both worked as hairdressers and James became, I think James was a bit of a Westwood junkie. Yeah. So he became, he knew that I was Vivian's assistant. So we kind of became friends, mm. you know, and then I got James to come in and do a couple of things with Vivian. He did a, I think he did her hair for a some Swiss TV channel show documentary thing that we did. Mm. And anyway, so eventually I'm aware that James lives with this photographer called Corinne Day in a little tiny flat on Brewer Street in Soho. And I'm aware that Corinne has done this groundbreaking editorial for The Face with this young, awkward-looking girl who was actually Kate Moss. And she's working with this stylist called Melanie Ward. I, I had aspirations about becoming a stylist. And I remember I was probably more interested in Melanie, to yeah, be honest. Yeah. And I think the first time I went round to the flat with James... I'm sure, I mean, I might have like made this up in my head because I'm, you know, I'm kind of prone to romanticising things. But I think Melanie was there mm-hmm. the first time I went round. I'm sure she was. I remember being completely like starstruck. starstruck. Yeah. yeah. And her and Corinne, well, if it wasn't the first time this actually did happen, her and Corinne were going through a bag of vintage clothes because it was the time when we were all stylists a lot of the editorials in the star magazines were working with a lot of vintage clothes or mixing them with designer clothes. Mm. And I just remember I'd never seen people examining things that were kind of just from like flea markets or Camden. Second clothes, basically. With such reverence. It was so alien to me because I worked at Vivian Westwood Mm. and we were a completely different aesthetic. Mm. So I was kind of a bit torn because I was like, you know, I was walking around wearing head-to-toe Vivian because I could get it very cheaply because I worked there. I was suddenly being distracted by this new movement and it was completely different. Things that had some kind of provenance with the past, but they were modern and it was about girls and boys in natural environments with not really any makeup or hair or anything. So it was really the antithesis to Sarah Stockbridge or Susie Bitt prowling down the runway at Vivian Westwood, really very sexualised human beings, very glamorous. How was she, though, when you turned up in Vivian Westwood? Um, I know Corinne loved the whole punk thing of Vivian Westwood, didn't she? Well, I don't think I was, like... I wasn't wearing it, like, in a very theatrical way. I don't think that's ever been my thing. No. I think I probably felt slightly self-conscious about... I mean, I've got, I had all the stuff. I mean, mm. I had the rocking horse shoes. I mean, I had it all going on. Yeah. And when you're 19, 20, you can get away with it. Corinne, when I first met her, I think she was quite, quite friendly. Mm. She sort of knew if she liked somebody almost yeah. straight away, didn't she? Corinne was eight, I think eight or nine years older than me, but that would have been quite a big age difference when you're 19, 20. Yeah. You know, she'd had a lot more life experience than I had. 
and also you know she was she was shooting like iconic stories for the fashion stories for the face magazine mm-hmm. and it was just it in i i think i couldn't believe because it was very quick my sort of baptism into the fashion industry happened very quickly and it was all by chance like meeting the right people meeting john richmond working for him for a while meeting joe corey vivian's son at a party asking him for a job i mean i I don't know who i thought i was but i just (laughs) i had a lot of confidence yeah and i also didn't but i did in a way i believed that i was going to be confidence of youth yeah Yeah. i was going to get that i was going to be I didn't really actually know what stylist was, I don't think, in the beginning, because it was a very new job. You know, there were fashion editors at Vogue and everything, but stylist was a very, you know, it was coming out of, you know, the whole thing with Judy Blame and Ray Petrie and that had happened, yeah. but it was still quite a new thing. And I think meeting Corinne and Melanie and hanging out with them, it kind of put me on the right path. And Corinne is the reason why I'm where I am. Yeah. Because I met you first, before I met Corinne, again through James, mm. and you were still at Westwood then, and I remember I'd been doing a few tests, like, you know, shoot, test shoots, and James said to me, Carl's looking for somebody to do hair for a test, and that, and I remember I came to Westwood and met you, mm. and then we just became friends, and I did a test with you. I've still got those pictures. Oh, with, God. What was her name? Tara... She was going out with Jason, Jason Donovan. Donovan. Yeah. She was Australian. Yeah. Can't remember her last name. That's really And funny. she was very lovely. Yeah. The styling would have been very the antithesis of what was going on at Vivian Westwood. Because yeah. I was already involved in the shows and everything at Vivian. You know, it was all like, you know, it was literally, we'd be in Paris uh, doing the show at Azadina Lies and there'd be like Sarah Stockbridge walking down the runway with a with a, <laughs> with a handbag and a baguette hanging out of it. <laughs> you know, it was like, you know, it was quite literal in those days. Yeah. And this was all about stripping back. And I think I remember those pictures, but they were very simple. Yeah. Weren't they? I've still got them somewhere. Have I'll you? Take them out. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. Oh, so I that was when I met you. That. James went to live with Corinne for a little while and a... Well, then well, when I met Corinne, James was living with her. Right. In that little tiny bedroom. Yeah. It's like a bunk bed yeah. that he lived in. Because it was through James I met Corinne. Yeah. And I actually started colouring Corinne's hair because I'd switched from being a stylist, hairstylist to a hair colourist. Mm. And Corinne knew that and she had highlights and she wanted me to highlight her hair. But she hated coming to the salon, so she asked me to go to the flat. So that's... How I actually got to know Corinne was I used to sit and highlight her hair, which used to take forever because she had so much hair. And I would literally spend about four hours with her. And we'd just sit chatting. And sometimes, like you, I met Melanie. And obviously I was quite in awe of Melanie as well. And sometimes Corinne's highlights would be developing and I'd sit with her and Melanie and just chat. I don't know what's What is it about Melanie? I I mean, she's the nicest, most down-to-earth person, but there's something about her that makes... I just want to just like kiss her feet. She kind of she's like, like a, a goddess. If you're listening, Mel. Yeah. But <laughs> what is you. it about her? Yeah. I just. I mean, I did. I did have a lesbian crush on her. Did you? <laughs> I think so. Yeah. Yeah. If that's possible. I'd but I just that. think she's just amazing. You know, she's not just a stylist. It's something which a lot of young people now would be good to take note of because if you look at somebody like Melanie, who's going on a bit of a tangent, but her work is so informed by her education and her cultural appreciation of everything from literature to art. When you look at her work, you can see 
political movements from like the 70s in, mm. in Berlin. You can see the Weimar Republic. You can see all these, you can see it in her work. It's like all Bauhaus or whatever. It goes so much further than just putting on clothes, which is yeah. kind of where we are a little bit at the moment. But anyway, that was a little sidetrack. Yeah. But, um, <laughs> let's go back to Corin. Yeah. When did you start working with her? Because we were trying to figure that out. Uh, I can't actually remember the first time I worked with Corinne. I think what happened was Corinne was working with Melanie and then she was also, she started working for British Vogue. Yeah. And obviously British Vogue always have their own fashion editors on every shoot. So I think it, I think the first shoot, that famous shoot she did was with Lucinda Chambers. Yeah. And it was on the football fields and it was at a school... Cecilia Chancellor and yeah. all those, you know, all those iconic girls. Mm. And then I think Melanie got a job at Harper's Bazaar in America. Mm. And then I think Corin needed other stylists to work with. I think I did, I can't remember the first shoot we did. In 93, I left Vivian Westwood and I went to work as the assistant fashion editor at The Observer. I did start working with Corin for... The Observer, we did some shoots. Mm. I think you did them, didn't yeah. you? Yeah, I did. Do you remember yeah. the one yeah. we did? Yeah. It was Georgina, wasn't it? And George? Maybe. I just remember that Hawaiian print dress. Oh, Do you remember God, that? yes. Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, my God. It was orange. Oh, so that must have been the first one. and then Yeah, I... and then they put all the pictures. I was dreading it because we did all these pictures, which took weeks to do. They put them all on as like a collage yeah. on a double page spread because I think they didn't really, they were nervous about them. Mm. They were nervous because the pictures were just raw. Yeah. And beautiful. And um, Well, they were, do you think people wouldn't understand? Yeah, that? I think so. Even yeah. though it was the Observer, but you think people have got like a bit of a yeah. more open-minded opinion. I mean, I used to get hate mail at the Observer when I worked with people like Corinne mm. because of people telling me that, you know, that the models were too skinny, that their daughter had anorexia because they were looking at fashion magazines. And I don't believe, I've never believed that. I've never believed that people um, starve themselves to death from looking at fashion magazines. I believe that, um, well, it and it's a terrible illness, it and I think it's that. awful, it goes way beyond that. Mm. And I think it's easy, it has been, fashion's been an easy scapegoat. Mm. I think that Corinne and I did, started to work for um, Raygun. Mm. I think we did Raygun. David Carson's magazine. Yeah, I think we did ID, but later. Mm. It's funny because, like, in those days, we, 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 like, we used to work on shoots, so they would take months to prepare, and yeah. we'd be, like, trawling around, you know, all the junk shops, or we'd go to, like, places like South Hall Market every week. Yeah, I remember you used to go on jaunts with her, didn't you? Yeah. Literally just... Corinne, like, nothing more than getting really down and dirty in a in a junk shop, vintage yeah. shop, which kind of really wasn't my thing, but mm. I actually learned so much. I was going to say, as a stylist, because obviously yeah. you weren't the only one that she was working with. No. How... I mean, I... As a friend, I know your aesthetic a lot more now. Yeah. And especially being... With us being close friends, I know your aesthetic really well now, but versus some of the other stylists you work with, yours is different. So I wondered actually how your point of view came into to combine with hers. Well, I think I've never been... I was never the stylist that, that 
that wanted to go down the very extreme route to rawness with her. Mm. I just felt, I just feel like it's not me. It's not my, it's not in my nature. Mm. I like, I still have to have beauty. Yeah. I can't, I can't, I don't like, I don't like dirty realism. Corinne did a lot of that with other people. Mm. I still have to have a sense that I, I have to have, there has to be something for me that feels aspirational in a way. And although we weren't really doing aspirational fashion, I, I really, I, I like the idea that there's a bit of a yearning, a bit of romance. I think with me, the difference with me was, with, compared to other people, Corinne and I could do a shoot for Raygun or ID, but then we could also do a shoot for Vogue. Yeah. I kind of crossed over from the more edgier magazines to the more commercial magazines. And I think also she knew that I wasn't going to fuck up with um, dealing with editors, editors in chiefs. I mean, how would, how do you feel that in terms of like the compromise that we had to sometimes face with Corinne, mm. how did that work for you with the hair, would you say? It was funny working with her as a hairstylist. Not funny, that's the wrong word. But because obviously I didn't get as involved as you did as a stylist. Um, I, there wasn't anywhere near mm. as much prep work. But there wasn't mood boards. No, there that's wasn't important to mention. Yes, no mood boards at all. Mm. Well, we barely had internet back then, did mm. we? You know, but we'd never go to. We'd never send you a mood board and go, Neil. Never. This is the kind of hair that we want. No. You used to just come up with it when yeah. you looked at the clothes. Or Corrie would maybe find one random picture and say to me, I love the hair in this. And then that would end up being the sort of start of what maybe the hair would be for the rest of the shoot. Whether it, whether the hair would stay the same or if we decided to change it for different pictures. And it was quite an interesting process working with Corrie because I think people always associate her with just kind of very natural, real hair. But there were times when... I remember once Corin said to me, Neil, I found this brilliant book, go and buy it. And it was called The International Book of Hairdressing. And when I bought it, it was the most maddest book because it was basically exactly what it says. The International Book of Hairdressing, but just all these hair shoots that had gone on all around the world by different hairdressers. And they just created mad hairstyles on people. You know, I mean, it was they're amazing. Some of them were really awful, but... What I did, then did with Corinne was we sat and went through the book and picked out all the ones that we really liked. And funny enough, Corinne would pick certain ones that I just think she won't be into that at all. And then she'd go, oh, I love that. Like it would be a girl with sort of like, you know, her hair all crimped out, but then it would uh, be sprayed so it was almost like she was wearing like a halo of crimping. And I just thought that would be too much, but actually she loved it. And we actually redid that. Or we didn't copy it because we always said, let's reappropriate it a little bit and change it. But we did that on Daria Verabove for Italian Vogue. And, and I remember when the picture came out, everyone was like, oh my God, we love the hair. And it was very different for Corinne because people would, nor would normally, like I say, the, most of the time she'd like the hair more real. Mm. But this was the total opposite. And I remember, I think, did I do that shoot with you? I think we did for Liberation. With hairstyles. With hairstyles. Yeah. And they but were, they were real hairstyles. Real hairstyles, like up solid. Yeah. Proper lacquered doos. Doos. Almost yeah. like kind of like like those kind of Tom Wolf Upper East Side social mm. x-ray ladies with yeah. their big sort of like lacquered Martian hairdos. Yeah, totally. Mm. It was, it was full on Martian hairdos. But then the clothing and everything was the complete mm. sort of like 
opposite of that, wasn't it? And they looked quite sort of like I remember they the very sweet with their nipples like, out. Yeah, and a bit sort of <laughs> almost a bit quite rock and roll. Mm. And then the hair was these dudes. So it was funny because you would get to do things like that with mm. Corin, which I loved because mm. obviously for me as a hairstylist, it was great to experiment. Mm. And when I look back now and look at all the pictures that we did, we actually did do some quite amazing hair on it sometimes. Mm. But even the natural hair I would be amazing. I think she liked hair. She did like hair. I think she found hair easier to go there with than More makeup. than makeup. Mm. Makeup, Corinne tend to just like a bit of a smudgy eye, didn't she? Or she not. liked a bruised eye. Yeah, or they're not very much at all. Because yeah. I remember doing a few shoots with her where she would go, I won't get a makeup artist, but then she'd go, Neil, can you do a bit of eyeliner? Mm. And then we'd just smudge it with a bit of Vaseline. Yeah. And then that would be it. And then she'd credit me as doing makeup. And I'm like, well, don't, because I can't. That's easy to do, a smudgy Vaseline eye. I couldn't mm. suddenly draw like a perfect eyeliner on somebody. But yeah, it was kind of an interesting way to work with her. And also, I always remember one of the things I always remember, and I tr- always remember this whenever I'm on a shoot, she always used to say to me, stand directly behind me, then you can see exactly what I'm seeing. She used to say, don't stand Well, let's not side. forget, in the beginning, there wasn't, you were, this isn't on digital. No, there was this no is on, screen. We were, doing, we were doing Polaroids, and then yeah. we were looking at the Polaroids, and then we were going into onto film. Yeah, no, so, totally. Which, so we never really knew what it was going to look like. Well, we had an idea, but we didn't. The there would always so... be... Well, you wait. I remember going around to Corinne's after we'd done the shoot, two days later, to look at the contact sheets. Yeah. And there the magic happened. Yeah. That, you know, or there the magic became revealed. Mm. But it's interesting what you say, sorry, about the hair, um, particularly that Liberation shoot, because it's very Corinne. I mean, it's it's funny because you were saying that when you went through the hairdressing book, the hairstyles book, you'd be surprised at the ones she liked. Mm. Corinne was very contrary. So I think the part of her was always kind of... Her nature was to sort of make you surprised by what her taste might lead to. Yeah. Like, very, like, Vivian in that sense. Like, sometimes if you say something green, Vivian Vivian would say it's blue. Yeah. (laughs) And it's just to be contrary. Because you would never do... I would never do a hairdo with her. Yeah. And then they would be in, like, a cocktail dress or a couture dress. Ever. Mm. So, but I think even Corinne got bored of like nothing hair. Yes, she did. I think yeah. she did. You're right. But. but I think you got to really experiment with Corinne. I mean, what she did was she worked with you as a you really collaborated together. So she might get you to colour the ends of a girl with bleached white hair pink mm. and then flick her hair back so it looked like a Mohican. Yeah. So it was the combination of, of your technique and her photography, which created something which was fleeting it wasn't it didn't actually exist in real life it was yeah. the way the girl was moving mm. so it's actually quite amazing because you don't really see that off that that happen that often no. you know it's a bit like the shoot we were supposed to was supposed to be for id and it ended up in that trash magazine <laughs> that corin thought was the corin had convinced herself was the new was the young british vogue yeah. it was actually just Published in Vogue House. Yeah. Nothing to do with Vogue at all. It's called Trash, wasn't it? it? Yeah, and it lasted for about two issues. <laughs> and the hair in that is so important. Mm. Do you remember? Yeah. Was that, that, well, that was when I did all the big backcombed. Yeah. Wasn't it? It was just beautiful, that shit. And actually, the makeup was quite important. It was on Madeleine Blomberg. Yes. Who was one of our favourite girls. Yeah. Corinne was working with the clothes and the hair and the makeup. And she had, like, big sort of chiffon puff sleeve mm. top. She'd be looking through the chiffon yeah. into the camera 
and the makeup just looked amazing through and the hair coming out of the it was just incredible and that that was actually very beauty orientated that yeah. shoot i thought the idea behind the styling was slightly based on julia roberts character in pretty, pretty woman. woman yes because we had those amazing preen like thigh length boots you know we used to do full-on like lingerie kind of suspenders and all, all of that i mean i'm sure that's why i ended up becoming sort of doing lots of lingerie yeah. lingerie campaigns for like agile provocateur well that's what like i that. like was saying earlier about the, your aesthetic i was thinking of you doing kind of like sexy lingerie but it's yeah. it's got like a slightly twisted yeah left field twist to it do you know what i mean yeah i love strong women i love powerful women Corinne did as well and I love the idea that women can use clothes and lingerie and whatever accessory to empower themselves and to be and to feel like strong at the moment there's a really interesting Corinne again because mm. I know you've just written a piece for a Chinese magazine yeah that are writing doing a thing about her we've both been interviewed for by amongst other people who were connected with Corinne for a magazine in America. What was the magazine? System D. System D, which I think comes out in October. And I know you've been interviewed, I've been interviewed. This interest has suddenly resurged again for Corinne, hasn't it? Mm. Why do you think that is? It's hard, isn't it? Because we're quite close to it. Yeah. I think so. Yeah. Every time you go into a creative venture in fashion, whether it's an editorial or an advertising campaign, whatever it is, or a fashion show, there's mood boards flying everywhere. I mean, mm. people can't do anything unless they know exactly what colour the lipstick's going to be or the nail's going to be or the... Yeah. You know, I mean, my job is to try and push for something more spontaneous on the day, mm. I feel. Mm. But um, the amount of times I see Corinne's pictures on mood boards, pictures that I did even, that get sent to me, people haven't got a clue that I, that I, that I was actually the stylist on them. There were times over the years since Corinne died, where I, f I felt like, I felt this real pressure to, that people wanted me on the, on the job, because they, they, I'm sure that you have this as well, where they wanted almost the magic to be replicated. and, and the, They want a Corinne picture. Yeah, and it, yeah. obviously it would never work like that without yeah. Corinne being the photographer. There's something about Corinne's pictures, I've said this before actually, and I don't know, because it's very hard to describe her work if you really look at her work, because she has got quite a broad... Even though Corinne could go quite glamorous sometimes, you'd still know it was a Corinne picture. Yeah. Even though she did over-retouch her pictures towards the end, which we'll talk about later, mm. which was, I think, a combination of her illness and the fact that there was other photographers coming up that were doing that, like mm. Latin Marcus and people, and I think Corinne felt she had to keep up with the Joneses. Mm. I think... There is something in Corinne's pictures. They're not about the past. They're not about the future. They're about something which people really connect with. It's like a yearning. It's like something... Sometimes her pictures can make you feel like you're, you're yearning for a time or a place that never really existed. Yeah. It's something that you can't put your finger on. It's something... It's making me feel quite emotional talking about it. Mm. Something you can't put your finger on. Somehow she was managed to bring that... She managed to bring that into her work. And I think that no one's ever replaced her in that sense. Mm. I think she wasn't a storyteller like a lot of photographers are. Like, you know, Tim Walker's a storyteller. Mm. She brought these moments to us 
that um, and we don't really know why we like them. We don't even know sometimes if we should. Mm. But they, it's very hard to put your finger on it. And I think people kind of chase that. It's something that no one will ever ever be able to achieve. People do other great work in a yeah. different way. I always remember, because people ask me sometimes, oh my God, how did Corinne used to work? Mm. And I was like, I mean, well, when I first started working with her, it was before she was diagnosed with a brain tumour, so she used to do a lot of handheld stuff. So it was very her moving around and finding angles, but then it was always to me about her finding slightly strange positions for people to be in, maybe after they were stood in a position for a while and they got a bit bored mm. and suddenly their, you know, one leg would slightly break and they you know, and they'd start scratching or itching and things like that. Obviously as she after she came back to do fashion again from having the tumour, she then had to she couldn't handhold so she had to do everything on a tripod. But I found interesting with that it was the pictures became a tad more static but she was still looking for those little moments I remember a lot of the time when she worked in the studio especially um she'd be on the tripod and she'd deliberately walk away and wait for the model to start getting bored mm. and then but at the corner of her eye she was always watching them and then yeah. she'd suddenly see them do something and go hold that and then she'd walk back and click the picture mm. that's the bit that I think people have struggled to find yeah. when they try to not copy, but when they try to emulate the pictures that yeah. she did. And I think, like you say, when you work with people and they, you know, I'm like you, I get, I go on shoots and they've got mood boards and they've got Corin pictures and, you know, other pictures as well that you've maybe worked on, but especially the Corin mm. ones. And it's like they're trying to find that moment. Mm. Sorry, guys, but you just never quite find it. <laughs> oh, no, but she used to get us to talk to the models, didn't yeah. she? Oh, yeah. Like, if you were having a good day, you'd be the one making the model laugh. Yeah. Or sometimes you connect more, don't like you, you might connect more with a model than I did. Yeah. Or I or yeah. I might connect more than more the model than you did. And Corinne was very aware of that. So she would say, Oh Neil, stand and stand and talk by yeah. stand by the side of the you know Yeah. Which, which you would be anyway, mm. and make her laugh or talk to her or, Yeah. She'd get me to talk yeah. to them a lot. Mm. And if she wanted a laughing picture or a smiling picture, she was like, she always used to say, "Tell jokes, Neil. Tell jokes." Yeah. I mean, I ran Sometimes out of jokes. it's the last thing you want to do. Isn't it? <laughs> I remember thinking, like, oh, mm. I want to think about the next fucking outfit. Well, I was really happy when um, her assistant Matt Eads came to work for her because Matt was really good at telling jokes. Yeah. So he could actually take over a bit on the joke front. I just ran out of jokes, you know. Yeah. Yeah, it was quite. It was a very unique way of working, when there wasn't it? Really? Yeah. I mean, it was all about a moment. I mean, I, I, I mean, looking back on Corinne's photography, particularly in the beginning, there was that awkwardness going on. There was an artist, or there is an artist. I think he was a boyfriend of Cindy Sherman's. Mm. He used to photograph Cindy. Um, his name's Robert Longo, and I'm, I, I, I really believe that Corinne. We never really had this discussion, but I really believe she was quite influenced by him, because he was a painter, but he photographed people on the rooftop of his studio I think it was in Soho in New, in New York in mm. Manhattan dress up, he dressed the male and female subject in kind of like suits like kind of conventional suits suit and tie or the girl the woman Cindy would be in like a pencil skirt and a jacket mm. what he used to do was he used to fire missiles at them normally a ping pong ball from a like a child's like gun mm. that fires ping pong balls and and it made them react and he got these amazing kind of shapes. Mm. And I think he's, he described it as being, he was trying to recreate the 
cathartic moment of execution, mm. which is if you look at pictures of people that are in front of a firing squad, when they're actually shot in that moment, their faces often light up in kind of ecstasy because it's the moment where they know it's over. Mm. He was trying to recreate this as an artist. When you look at the work, it's not far off from what people like Corin were doing in mm. those early years of, of the kind of new movement. It's also quite David Sims as well. Yeah. And yeah. they kind of look like fashion pictures from the 90s, but they're not. But they're not. Mm. But what's your most memorable shoots with Corin, would you say? Um, well, when I did that piece recently for the Chinese magazine, SKP, I think it's called, um, I, I talked about that shoot we did with Vivian Solari in the, mm. in the burnt flat. Yeah. Do you remember it? Yeah. For mixed, yeah, yeah. I love what was your shoot. What was your feeling on that? I mean, I love that shoot. It mm. is amazing, and I remember actually Mark Corrin's husband was filming that as well, wasn't he? And some of that was used in the documentary, the BBC one, the BBC one. Yeah. And what I loved about that was it was just we were we were in a basically a disused flat. Where Corrin got the idea from to burn it all I have no idea no. Um, but she got her friend Paul Drummond Paul Drummond God sorry who's an amazing set designer amazing set designer but he's he, mm. when Corin died he didn't want to do it anymore did he and he stopped eventually yeah. didn't do it anymore well, we did some amazing things with him yeah. with Corin. yeah and I remember she got him to burn all this flat down yeah and well it was a disused it was a it was in a building wasn't it of Peabody Flats yeah in mm. well, housing association yeah, yeah. in bloomsbury yeah. Yeah. was it bloomsbury yeah, and they were going to be knocked down because Susie babchick who was corin's she agent live in those she was living there mm. and um well i remember that the corin really pushed me on the styling front i have to say and mm. that was one of the epic shoots where we would have gone to the ends of the earth to get the right things for the shoot i mean yeah. it was i mean she had like thousands of layers of like tights on all looking like they were completely shredded all different layers and different colors coming through it would have been completely planned mm. and like there would have been so much thought and effort and work gone yeah. into that actually i remember when i interviewed lucinda chambers for my podcast mm. obviously i worked with corin with her and she talked about how one of the things she loved to work with Corin, Corin would have an obsession, even when it was for Vogue, about making a particular hole in the tights. Yeah. And Lucinda would be like, yeah, we'll do that in a minute. And she said, Neil, it didn't matter whatever I was doing, until Corin saw that hole yeah. in that tights, we couldn't actually move on with getting the rest of the outfit together. Oh. And she said she had this bizarre obsession with these little... And making the like, perfect hole oh. is no fucking... <laughs> easy feet I tell you yeah. I mean there was one picture she did remember with um, it must have been for the face was it of Rosemary with the perfect ladder in a tank I think it's like a tank top mm. Melanie would have done that yeah and it was just like that must have been so hard to do mm. it's really hard to do destroy beautifully destroyed yeah that's a hard thing to do yeah. and that shoot with Vivian that we did was beautifully destroyed yeah and it was I mean it was it was for Mix magazine, which is a French magazine. I think they just thought we were mad. <laughs> I really do. I yeah. mean, like, but they ran. They published story. it, though. They always did. Yeah. And I remember, like, Corinne and I on the shoot. I'm sure you were you were with us. And we just got goosebumps about the... Um, there was one detail that Paul did, which just shows how genius he is. And that was the... And we have to be careful because we have to think about things like Grenfell. Well, I remember it's... Which, in the, this, yeah. this, for the record, this was... 
way before then. many years before yeah and um, it actually makes it slightly difficult to to go back to this shoot in a way because we have to respect the people that mm-hmm. died in Grenfell but the thing that we just loved the most the detail was there was this burnt old armchair and Paul had melted a a remote control over the edge of the armchair Mm. of the arm of the armchair and it was almost like somebody had been watching TV and then the fire had come and it just melted it was very Dali and it wasn't even in the pictures (laughs) in the end was it not? don't think so, no no, No. No, maybe actually yeah you're right it wasn't but also, do you remember the shoot that we did with, obviously with Paul, we did the Yoko Ono? Yeah. I have to say, that's a memorable shoot for me, partly because <laughs> I love those pictures, I have to say. And anybody that's listening, this shoot was an amazing shoot that we did for Japanese Vogue. Corin shot it and we had the Brazilian model, Camilla. Remember Camilla's last name at the moment. She was very young, very young, probably like slightly six. Asian looking. Yeah, but really gorgeous, beautiful. And Corinne got permission to, with Paul, to replicate Yoko's art. Yeah, which Yoko's which art. which I tell you, because I'm working another magazine now called Beauty, Beauty Papers. Papers. Yeah, and I know for a fact that dealing with the people that look after an artist like Yoko and getting permission for anything is mind-blowingly difficult mm. so this the fact that Corin managed to persuade Yoko to allow us to recreate her work mm. from like years before her installations her sculptures mm. her paintings her poetry yeah is unbelievable mm. it says a lot about how Corin uh, sorry how Yoko would have viewed Corin and yeah. the esteem she would have held her in yeah no totally and I remember that shoot, I was actually in New York, I was, think I was still partly living in New York at the time, and you, both you and Corinne separately called me to go, you've got to come back and do this shoot with us, you have to come back. Oh my God. And it, it was, was history. Yeah. And I was literally, those two days, I had a shoot the day before, and I remember I flew from New York that night, I did the overnight flight, landed in the morning, came to the studio. I remember. Two days, and then the... The, the night of the last day, I then flew back to New York because I had another job in New York the next day. And I remember arriving and Corrie going to me, I love the way she looks. Let's not really do much to her hair. And I remember thinking, oh, yeah. Oh, my God, I've flown all this way. Yeah. And But, but it then, didn't matter. But it didn't matter. But I remember at the time thinking, because I was so tired. And yet, I mean, you were so used to what you were. Yeah. So, you, you, I mean, it's not the first time that's happened. Oh, God, no. no. But I think it was just the fact that I was so jet lagged <laughs> and just was a bit like, they begged me to come and I didn't want anything. <laughs> but you know what was interesting, though? I did do hair. You did do hair. Because one of the things with Corin, which, pe- again, people always ask me, you know, even when it was natural hair and like with that situation where she didn't want me to do anything, she would be like, can we just have one strand of hair falling yeah. here? Mm. And she'd be so specific about where that strand of hair, yeah. a bit like you were saying, where mm. the holes were or yeah. where the ladder And everybody goes. thinks it's just, it's just spontaneous. It yeah. really wasn't. No. And it's what, again, Lucinda said about me. She said when she works with me, mm. Lucinda Chambers, she said she loves that I find all these tiny little nuances. Yeah, and you would have learned that from Corrie. Learned that from Corrie. Yeah. Because it was about going, oh, perhaps if that little bit of hair, they would just mm. give it that little bit of something. Yeah. And maybe to a lot of people they wouldn't even notice, or like you say, they'd just go, that just looked like it yeah. happened accidentally, or they didn't even notice at all. But 
Corey knew it was there oh. versus it not being there. But oh my god, I remember sometimes. I remember one strand of hair once. I can't remember what shoot it was. But she'd be a bit like, no, Neil, it's not in the right place. And I'd be like, I don't know where else to put it because it was the, the thinnest piece of hair. Amazing. But actually, when you see the pictures, you're like, that little bit of hair definitely gave the picture something else. To, not, it wasn't the thing that made the picture, but it was part of it and part of what made her pictures yeah. what they were. All these tiny, tiny details. Yeah. And I think that was what made Corinne so special was the sort of minute eye details, yeah. wasn't it? And that was such a different shoot. I mean, Corinne had a lot of balls. We recreated Yoko Ono's work with a model that looked slightly like her, but she wasn't. But wasn't, yeah. And then I remember at the end of the shoot, the condition was from the Yoko Ono stu- like studio, was yeah. that we had that everything had to be destroyed. Yes. And had to be filmed being destroyed. Yeah. And then sent to them. That's right. Yeah. So that they knew yeah. it would never be used again. Yeah. 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 Because yeah. Paul did such an amazing job, didn't he, of replicating it all. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. It felt slightly contrived in a way because mm. it was... They were so specific that it had to be exact. Yeah. And I remember him having the original pictures of the... Maybe like the installations yeah. and kind of go... There was the one with all the bees, mm. and he had to have all the bees in the right place and everything. Yeah. And the poetry so... on the sunglasses. Yeah. And, yeah. and then there was the one where she did a, a piece of performance art, mm. where she invited people to come in and cut her clothes off her. Yeah. And I think we wrote in, I think Camilla's the model was father. so young, her father yeah. was with her, he didn't speak any English. <laughs> and we wrote him into being one to, to being one of the people coming in and cutting off her clothes, which was quite weird. Yeah. But... Um, <laughs> Yeah, but I mean, I remember Gabrielle Hackworthy, who was the she editor was that editor. I was working, we were working for at Japanese Vogue, just being completely blown away by it. Mm. I mean, I think sometimes with Corinne, I don't know if you feel the same, like, it was such a journey from start to finish. The rush and the, the, the feeling of the sense of relief mm. when it was over... Yeah. Because it was great and I loved it. It was hard work. I mean, I went through the, we all went through the ringer mm. on some of these shoots. Yeah. It's not like now where you just go, oh, um, we've got, we're doing an editorial in three days. Do you want to do it? And you mm. just call the clothes in, put them on the model and that's it. Mm. It was literally, I, I keep going on about it, but it was literally weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks of preparation mm. to the finest detail. I mean, I remember, I mean, you were saying earlier about Corinne pushing you mm. and that you get this sense of like Lucinda Chambers saying that, you know, you know exactly how to put the perfect strand of hair and mm. all of that very spontaneous, but very, very kind of like, you know, you've got to know what you're doing. I think I've still got it, which is what I learned from her as a stylist is it's just never being satisfied, always pushing Pushing, 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 pushing. Never thinking, oh, those shoes are the best shoes. There's a million other places we could look for them. Mm-hmm. Until we, and then we end up using the ones that we first thought in the beginning. Yeah. And it was like, I remember <laughs> when Corinne first discovered, Corinne had a computer. I don't think I even had one at this point. And she discovered style.com. Oh, God, yeah. Which was where all you could see all the shows of mm. all the designers every all outfit. over the world. Every outfit, every show. I used to dread it because um, she'd go, come round and we'll talk about the shoot we're doing. And I, in <laughs> retrospect, I should have been so grateful to be there. And I was, but... And I'd be like, oh, she's going to make me go through the fucking... The whole All the style And we would literally... There'd be some designer in, like, Denmark or somewhere completely random that I'd never heard of. Yeah. And she'd be going... Now look at this tiny belt. I think it would be really good if we put that with that, with that. And 
I mean, Corinne, I'm I'm not gonna you know I'm not gonna hold back. She was very involved in the styling. You know, yeah. she was she was involved in everything. So you know, well, we talked about this the other week, didn't we? When we were chatting about her, and we were saying how she actually loved clothes. Yeah, she and did. Fashion. She was obsessed. Obsessed much more than I think people ever gave her credit yeah. for. And you know what's interesting, I think as well is, you know, since she's died which is now nine years ago, which we actually thought was ten. <laughs> That's how we ended up starting to talk about this. It's actually nine years ago. Um, it feels year. longer. It does feel longer. But since she's died, so much has been made about her non-fashion work. Mm. But actually, probably, if you looked at her whole body of work, the biggest body is the fashion stuff, because that's what she did yeah. the most, versus, you know, the art stuff, or what's considered art photography. But, yeah, her... And I always think this, Corinne loved clothes. Mm. And she liked buying them. She liked looking for them. She liked rooting around, like you yeah. say, vintage stores, you know, going to Dom's warehouse in oh. New York. She would tailor her jeans yeah. to the millimetre. Yeah. The, the, she'd have them like the, the perfect shape with the, you know, the, the sort of like the kick going over the... Yeah, tra- Converse trainer that she always wore. Mm. You know, she'd ever, she'd always tailor every single thing that she bought. She and if she bought something like she bought like um, I remember she bought an Andermilly Andermillimista tuxedo. Mm. Um, she would literally take every little bit of it. To, like she, all the sleeves would be taken in, and yeah. the, it, it would be. She was so particular. Well, and she didn't buy lots of things. She mm. was very much like everything. She she was very um, precise and and very and, and she didn't buy, she didn't buy tons of clothes. But when she did, it was a big thing. Yeah. Well, I'm going to tell you something which you've probably forgotten about actually. Oh, and <laughs> no, it's not bad. Corinne was approached by Barney's in New York yeah. to do a clothing collection. Yeah. A Corinne Day clothing. I collection. remember. Do you remember? Yeah. And. And she, she, she did all those Indian fabrics. Yeah, and what happened was was that my then boyfriend at the time, he was studying at St Martin's Fashion Design, and she said to me, Neil, I need to find somebody. She goes, I know what I want to do, because she was so up for doing it. She loved the idea that Barney's had approached her. She said, I know what I want to do, but I need somebody to do the drawings. And I put her in touch with my boyfriend at the time, and he started working on the drawings with her and the designs. Yeah. And basically what happened, the whole thing got fucked up because Corinne had a meeting with Barney's. They were, I remember they were flying over from New York to come and meet her and they wanted to see her initial designs. My boyfriend went a bit AWOL. All the designs were locked in his locker at St. Martin's and we couldn't get hold of him. And basically she never had anything to show them. Oh, God. And I kind of remember this. Yeah. And I remember it being such a big drama because she was phoning me going, where the hell is he? I was like, I don't know. He's gone AWOL for like four days. No one knows where he is. No one knows. And it was back in the day when mobile phones were around, but he didn't have one. Yeah. I didn't have one. I don't even think Corinne had one then. So it was all about calling his home number, leaving a message on his arch machine. And he wasn't getting back to her. He wasn't getting back to me. He'd gone on a complete... He hadn't even gone on a, a weird sort of bender of going out. He'd just sh- completely shut down from the world. And she couldn't get her hands on those designs yeah. that she'd done with him. Met Barney's, had nothing to show. The collection never happened. 
Yeah. And I remember feeling so guilty about that for quite a long time. I mean, bless Corinne, she was always like, Neil, it's not your fault. Mm. You didn't lock them away in a locker. But the collection never happened and it would have been interesting to see what would have happened yeah. had she done that. I remember it was like, so Corinne, like she fell in love with the, with it. I think it was fabric, for, for bolts of fabric from India, mm. which was like sari fabric almost. Mm. And it had like that she loved the Indian writing, which would be on the on the salvage, which is the on the end of the roll. Yeah. Which is obviously every roll just has that one end. Mm-hmm. I remember a t-shirt which had this, she just loved it because it had the salvage and mm-hmm. it had the writing on it. Yeah. In the Indian writing. Which wouldn't have been a very practical thing in manufacture, but it would no. have they, I guess they would have solved it in some way. Mm-hmm. She would have put a million percent into that. Oh, yeah. You know? I mean, mm. if she didn't like something, I don't think it was possible for her to even entertain it. Mm. Like I remember when both of it was one time when both of us really needed money, and um, she was like, "Oh, H and M want me to do their campaign," mm. and so we went to look at the clothes, and Corinne decided that she thought all the clothes were shit. <laughs> <laughs> Told them that she couldn't shoot any of it and they'd have to redo it and that was it. They were like, bye-bye. <laughs> and we flew home. It was like, and I was like, just, just we can make it work. Just yeah. fucking just say yes. Just, just, say just yeah. shoot it. Yeah. No, she hated it all. Mm. She hated it. So that was it. But looking back, I kind of love her for that too. That yeah. she had the balls to yeah. go, I don't like it. Yeah. And I mean, I remember doing a shoot for Allure with Ricky Vider Rivers, the stylist, fashion editor. God. And Lost in the past. Yeah. And her and Corinne had a big fight over... So we had two Over models. a t-shirt? <laughs> no, it was over a model. Oh. Because we had two models, one which Ricky chose yeah. and one which Corinne had chosen. And basically Ricky didn't like the one that Corinne had chosen. And she made that very clear from the start that mm. she wasn't into her. And basically they had a... Every time Corinne would come to shoot this girl that Corinne had chosen... Ricky would just go, don't like it, don't like the picture, don't like the picture. And they ended up having a massive Barney over it. And actually, <laughs> I remember Ricky was like, Corinne, you're making my life really difficult. <laughs> and Corinne said, well, why don't you go home? <laughs> I mean, <laughs> she did, I mean, her reputation did precede her slightly. Sometimes, didn't it? yeah. And I remember Ricky. Bless her, burst into tears. And we did actually get the shoot done. <laughs> I mean, I remember when I first went to Interview Magazine as the fashion editor, 96. First of all, Corinne got really annoyed with me that I accepted the job because I think she wanted me to be working with her in London. Mm. And I suddenly got this job very quickly and I had to leave. You remember, I had to leave in yeah. a couple of months. Yeah. We went on holiday to Spain, didn't we? Yeah. Me, you and Earl. Mm. I thought, right, I'll get... I'll, I'll try and get her in there, you know, I'll get her in the door. I mean, people were a bit scared of Corinne, mm. especially magazines like Interview. Yeah. Because it wasn't that kind of, I mean, there was the photographers working for Interview were like David LaChapelle and Ellen Von Unworth and Stephen Klein. It was very glamorous. Yeah. And I remember once I got my feet under the desk, so to speak, I was like, right, I want Corinne to shoot with us. Corinne was in New York because she be, she'd been on tour with... Um, Pusher Man, the the rock band. <laughs> so I remember we, uh, for some reason, we decided. I managed to convince Ingrid Sishi, my editor in chief, that Corin was in town, and we had to do a denim story. Because mm. Corin wanted to do a denim story on this band, and the band were completely out of control, mm. as you know. Mm. And so we did the shoot in. <laughs> never forgotten it. In um, the pre 
refurbished Gramercy Park Hotel, which was quite a dump yeah. back in the mid-90s. Mm. I think they might have been staying there, I'm not sure. And we, we basically had all the... I had my, my assistant, Alison, who was like the most... She was like a nervous wreck anyway, but when we're dealing with these people. They were just... I mean, I think... Who was that guy? You know, the guy that was quite the rude one. In the band? Yeah. He was he was saying to me, "Why are you running around like a chicken?" <laughs> I mean, I was getting like I was getting it from Corinne. I was getting it from there, and I just knew because it was I was working for a, you know a commercial American magazine. Yeah, that I had to shoot all the fashion credits, yeah. and it was like you know I had like Guess, Hugo Boss, Diesel, Levi's, all the big denim brands, mm. and I think the biggest one was I think it might have been Guess. Corinne didn't like any of the jeans, obviously, because they were just you know yeah. jeans from from you know from jeans mm. companies they weren't like you know yeah. the cool jeans from the vintage shop and i was like corin we've really i've been told specifically we've got to shoot these guest jeans she's like okay we'll put them on andy the lead singer of the band and she decided that she was because she didn't like the shape of the jeans so she she made him go for a piss in this in the toilet and put his and, and she photographed him with his jeans around his ankles and said there you go there's your credit <laughs> I went mental. I didn't speak to her for the rest of the time. <laughs> I think we seriously fell out over that. And the funny thing was, when I took the pictures to interview, I literally had my head, head in my hands. Ingrid loved it. Loved it. Yeah. You can never gauge it. No. She she thought it was fantastic. Mm. God, how funny. Mm. Whereas you were like crap. And they did one of those collage, <laughs> collage <laughs> things that you kind of like don't get the full force of it. <laughs> but they used it. Well, you know what? That shows that they, I think everybody respected the power of Corrine's pictures mm. and they, and then if they were panicky about the fact that they yeah. might be too controversial, well, if, I think it's collage she, them well, up. I think Ingrid would have, under, would have, would have loved the fact Corrine was a woman Yeah, in what is essentially a man's world at the time. Yeah. I mean, there were, it was hard for Corrine being a woman, yeah, a photographer. I mean, mm. it really was. Yeah. It's not, it wasn't easy. But I think it's easier now, isn't it? Than it yeah, was. I think. Well, hopefully, yeah, because yeah. I think that she put up with a lot of shit because she was a woman. Yeah, and I think Ingrid Sishi was a feminist, amazing. She was amazing, Ingrid. She was my, one of the best people I've ever worked for. Mm. I mean, she was a nightmare as well, but I loved her for it. Yeah. I and mean, I love always love difficult, strong women. Mm. I love working for difficult, strong women. Always, <laughs> always have done, always will do, and. Um, she she would have loved it. that picture of Andy with his jeans around his ankles. I mean, you didn't see anything. It was like, because mm. he had his back to the camera. But it was, and I think he had a bit of a smirk going on, looking back. But it was a great picture. Yeah. And Corinne took it. Mm. But it was like, it wasn't, it wasn't vulgar. And it was because Corinne was a woman. Yeah. That she kind of got away with it. Mm. If it had been some sort of gay photographer, it wouldn't have been the same thing. It would have had a different. different it would have had a different backstory. Yeah, you know. Yeah. See, yeah. I find it hard because of that. I find it really hard to pick my favourite shoots. Yeah, because I I've don't actually, have one. I don't really. I don't have no. one. Oh, I did love that shoot that we did for interview with. Um, Oh, where Georgina? Was it Georgina? Georgina Tanya, Court. Tanya Court. It was like a kind of end. It was like the end of the end of the world kind of shoot. Or it was kind of like um, it was, wasn't it? In we did a, that amazing picture in CBGBs. Yes, yeah, with the girl with, and I made her hair into a big giant. Yeah, mohawk. that was amazing. Yeah, and then I remember the other one we did. Corinne loved a bit of a mohawk. She loved a mohawk. Mm. Punk, wasn't it? Yeah, but yeah, and I think um, we did. Tanya Court looking like her hair was on fire. In a Victorian jacket. Yeah. And a bra. Yeah. 
Gorgeous. And then Georgina Cooper. Sorry, I only remember the hair. <laughs> Georgina Cooper. I remember I did, you know, the cocktail stirrers from yeah. glasses. Yes, I love colors. that. Yeah. And, and Corinne liked, to be, liked you, like, didn't you, like, you used the little umbrellas as well, didn't you? Yeah, we got the umbrellas yeah. for cocktails. <laughs> but I, and I remember that picture of little Emma. Mm. And she, she was doing that thing that, it was, Corinne was really good. Another thing she did was that she was, she was very in touch with her youth. So, she, you know, that thing you do when you, well, I mean, I might have done it, which is probably a bit weird. <laughs> where you put your hands up your, up your t-shirt or your jumper and you make boobs, boobs with your fingers. Your fingers. <laughs> <laughs> and there was a, a little Emma doing like boob fingers. Yeah, yeah, I know. <laughs> but that the was picture was so chic. Yeah, yeah. Because the thing about Corey's work was, although she'd be doing something like that, which is humorous, mm. there's a lot of humor in Corey's work. Yeah, it's the actual picture is quite serious. Yeah, and she's, I think she's stepping over a line on the floor, like a black graphic line. Mm. And it's almost like she's stepping into something. There's a. Yeah. I don't think Corinne really intellectualised her work herself. I think being an artist was innate in her. I think Ingrid wrote something or got somebody to write something on the picture, mm. which was about crossing. It was all very sort of, um, sort of deep and meaningful. Mm. One one thing I think Corinne would struggle with now, if she was still working, and God, we wish she was, but mm. is this. This idea that everything now has to be a democracy. Everybody can be the person in the picture. Everybody can be the. Everybody can have that body. Everybody can wear those clothes. Everybody can be that girl. It's not possible. Mm. The people people are now being fed a lie. They're being told, yeah, you know, don't worry. You can sit on the couch and eat potato chips and get fat, but you can still be, you know, you can still be in the glamorous magazine. Well, the thing is. Corinne's pictures were not democratic. So the people in the pictures had a certain shape to their body, mm. which Corinne liked. That was her aesthetic. And she has a right to do that. Mm. But the thing is, it's like, I think now we're too conscious of like, you know, pleasing everybody. Yeah. Whereas what people in those days, I think, were, were getting from Corinne's work was, well, this is someone, this is something I could never be, but I love it. Mm. And I think that's a very positive message. Mm. I mean, Corinne got so much, into so much shit by the awful British press about, you know, the Daily Mail saying, you know, when they she did that shoot for British Vogue, which kind of made her going, no, the one with Kate, oh, the yeah. underwear one, yeah. oh, which yeah. actually, she, which put, she stopped shooting after mm. that for quite a long time. Yeah. And the people, the comments were, put it into context, You've got a woman photographing another woman. They are friends, and the woman is in her own her own environment wearing underwear. Yeah. So the comments were, it's promoting uh, paedophilia. Mm. It's promoting drug abuse. Anorexia. Anorexia. Mm. So all of these things she's been she's being accused of mm. peddling porn, mm. anorex encouraging anorexia and drug abuse. Mm. We know for a fact that none of those things were the truth. No. You know, Corinne loved food. Mm. Corinne didn't take heroin. No. Do you know what actually is interesting? Those pictures, years later, now get used. No one bats an eyelid at Mm. them. But there was such a drama about those pictures. Mm. But it's funny because I think sometimes Corinne's work created this controversy. Mm. Yeah. Or people would use them to draw her Mm. into the controversy that was there. mm. It was like the heroin chic thing, wasn't it? Which I've talked about a couple of times in interviews, especially this one for System D, where I was like, to me, heroin chic was a a word invented by the press, but in the US, not here. Mm. Heroin chic didn't come from here. But actually, 
Corinne's images were roped into that. Yeah. So I remember her saying that there was they used a picture of Tanya Court on an on a, in a newspaper in America saying this was hair in cheek. I mean, mm. Tanya Court could not have been squarer. Could, could not. I mean, I love Tanya. If you're listening, yeah. I mean, she was not rock. She was not a rock and roll. Ta- girl. Well, Tanya didn't drink. She never took no. drugs. She never, never went partying. She never smoked. No. She was just this. Gorgeous mm. creature, and she really inspired Corinne because of, of the way she looked. Her, be- she was one of the most beautiful women I've ever seen mm. in my life, and still is yeah. now. Right? I mean, she's mm. grown up. To but be what gorgeous, I'm trying but... to touch on, I think, what I'm trying to say, I think, a little bit is the reason that a lot of people have, you know, were up in arms about all of this when they saw these pictures was because they couldn't be the person. Yeah, they couldn't. It was like this this whole thing about yeah I call it, you can call it aspiration I call it yearning like like I I've always loved the fact that I can't be the boy in the picture but I'm not gonna I'm never gonna be that beautiful I'm not that tall I'm never gonna have that body I just love the fact that I can't be him that I just aspire to be something about him you know yeah. I don't and I think that some people and it's got worse now if they can't be that anything if they they can't accept something for what it is and just appreciate it if it doesn't relate to them then they get offended by it yeah and i think we have to really get out of this mindset because we're we're, we're going to lose our our potential to dream and to have and to have and to have like you know aspirations to beauty and mm. you know we can all improve ourselves we can all dress up or we can all use beauty products or perfume or anyone can do that that's yeah. democratic and i think that you know People should be celebrated for different body shapes and different, you know, every se- every sexuality, every race, every colour, yeah. you know. And um, But I feel like what people have to respect is a photographer, particularly one who is very specific, as specific as Corinne, who creates her own world, mm. like Tanya Court, becomes something completely different in her world. Mm. She becomes almost like a rebel. She becomes yeah. a, like a re- the, the coolest girl on, on the planet. People just have to accept that's what somebody's vision is. Mm. And, you know, just accept it for what it is. Well, you know what's interesting as well, Carl, you saying that's made me think, when you actually think about when Corinne started taking fashion pictures... She, and a lot of people give her credit for revolutionising the fashion industry because it was all about the supermodels Mm. and being this sort of like, you know, six foot tall Amazonian and they're gorgeous, you know, Mm. the Christie's, the Lindas and da 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 da. But the fact that Corinne photographed Kate, who wasn't six foot tall, Mm. who had slightly wonky teeth, supposedly knock knees, I've not really looked that close, but I think she might have done when she was young, I don't know, but it was... Corinne's idea was about imperfect beauty. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? And actually, it was because of that that she was able to flip fashion on its head. Mm. And now when you think, I guess it's, in a way, it's like it's transitioned and become this whole thing where now it's about the colour, race, you know, everything's accepted, mm. which it should have been anyway. Yeah, but Corinne is ahead of her time. I yeah. mean, what annoys me is people, people, people have always accused Corinne of being of being exclusive so like you know not including certain types of people certain type. but I remember like moments like when she was shooting I don't know did you do the Naomi Campbell shoot yeah. British Vogue mm-hmm. first thing Corinne wanted to do was shoot her with her afro. natural hair with yeah. like an afro straight and weave. you know what was interesting with that funnily enough is that 
I then made inquiries to see if we could get Naomi to take her weave out, but we were told it was probably complicated because she just had it done and would, you know, blah, 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 blah. So we ended up doing wigs, yeah. Afro wigs on her, but not But she was happy ones. to do. She was totally happy to do. Yeah. But they weren't comedy, they weren't giant, they were kind of, it was meant to look like it could be her own hair. But like you say, Corinne was so ahead of her time because yeah. she was like, we need her, to... Her default would have been like, I want to shoot her with an Afro. Yeah. First thing, and she, with no makeup. Yeah. Because Naomi's beautiful without anything. Yeah. And even, you know, one of the early models Corinne used to love was Lorraine Pascal. I know. And, you know... Was... Oh, God, I saw her recently. I love well, her. Well, I just shot with her recently. Why? Did she... Has she... Has she still got the gap in her yeah, teeth? Yeah. She has, hasn't she? Yeah. I love that. Which I love. And yeah. Corinne loved Lorraine. Yeah. And, it's and she had, like, shaved head, didn't she? Shaved head. And she did a shoot with Kate. When they're doing, yeah. like, they're spinning round and they've got kind of go-go boots on. Yeah. Yeah, I love that shoot. great pictures. And it's funny because I noticed on Corinne's Instagram recently, mm. somebody commented that Corinne didn't shoot enough black women. She always wanted to shoot but black women. She always women. wanted to shoot. The it was the magazines. Was, well, the problem was there weren't that many black girls around. Modeling. No, they weren't. And also magazines were really different mm. in their approach. Yeah. Or what you could do. Yeah. You know, and it's and Corinne loved people of all ethnicities. Yeah, she did. She did. I can't yeah. just say that word. Um, <laughs> you know, she really didn't care less whether you were... No. Well, she shot gray, the Indian guy, didn't she? You know, with the Union Jack t-shirt on for the face. Do you remember him? There was yeah. That guy. You know, I mean, she... And actually, yeah, Corinne... She, Corinne was not in the slightest bit racist whatsoever. Or, or homophobic or, or anything. No, no. She actually didn't really have an agenda with anything like that. Since Corinne passed, all the work we're seeing over and over again is the is the more art photography stuff. And there was a very small group of people that Corinne photographed mm. in that way. Yeah. If we were to really revisit, which I hope we do, and I think this is one reason why we're doing this podcast, is to get this out there. Mm. In the future, look at look again at the legacy and mm. in, in terms of whether it's a book or an exhibition or both or whatever mm. and talk about the work that she was really proud of and that is the work she did for Vogue a lot of the time mm. or for glossy magazines yeah. for fashion yeah I mean Corinne was a fashion photographer I believe she was one of the best fashion photographers that, that there ever was because with Corinne as a stylist and I'm sure you feel the same as a hairdresser you knew you were in safe hands. Mm. Although it could be difficult sometimes and the whole process was exhausting and yeah. we knew we were into we were onto something good. Yeah. We always knew that. We mm. I never I never did anything with her that I didn't like. No. I didn't like her retouching towards the end, I'll be really honest. No. I think she kind of lost sight of I think it was a lot to do with her her brain cancer. Well I we think, talked about that didn't yeah. we? How probably her judgment of things yeah her, i don't think she was really seeing it i think she was under pr pressure yeah. to, to to be to make money and yeah. i think at that towards the end of her life fashion suddenly went really over overboard on the retouching yeah. and the photographers that were becoming famous yeah. were doing it really well yeah because it's what they're, it wasn't her thing no it wasn't i think we really need to go back and revisit corinne and show that she was she was a great fashion photographer. A great, groundbreaking, inclusive fashion photographer. Yeah. Who who just loved beauty and in like who, who loved turning ideas on their head and who loved to subvert and who loved to, you know, just be some, who she what she wanted to do, always do, it was always something I always remember from her, and this is something I've tried to retain. It's although it's quite hard 
it's not an easy thing to do is that you always have to try and do something that hasn't been done before. Yeah. Do you remember her saying that to always. us? Always, yeah. Whether it's the combination mm. of, you know, the hair and, mm. the, and the dress or the makeup or no makeup or hair, you know what I mean? Like yeah. there was always this reappropriation, this juxtaposition, this you have to do, you have to at least believe mm. you're doing something new. Yeah. And I, that's always really stuck, stuck with me. And I think that I, that's one of the most important lessons I think I, I took from working with her. Yeah. And I hope we're, we're going to relook at the work and we're going to show people, like you say, mm. what the real legacy is. Yeah. Well, the full legacy, isn't it? That's yeah. what it's about. There's a whole massive, and we said this right at the very beginning, probably the biggest body of her work is fashion. Yeah. Well, it is. Yeah. It's a known fact. You know, and yes, Corinne did take lots of pictures on her own, you know, of friends and everything else, but the biggest body and the, the stuff that most people remember her for is the fashion work. Yeah. I mean, if you say Corinne Day, they'll say Kate Moss and then all the other people. So, well, everyone should watch this space. Yes. I think we reached a natural yeah. conclusion. Yeah, we did. Thanks for listening to this special episode of In Bed with Neil Moody. Anybody who is interested in seeing any of Corinne's work, please go visit her website www.corinneday.co.uk and Corinne is spelt C-O-R-I-N-N-E. Plus you can see her images and regular new posts on the Corinne Day Instagram account at Corinne Day Official. And for all inquiries, please contact the Corinne Day Estate by emailing marks695 at gmail.com. Series 1 of In Bed with Neil Moody is also available on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud and TuneIn, plus Series 2 will be coming soon in the autumn.